What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner Plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast presented by STP. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, and I am here today at the Ford Performance Technical Center, which is in Concord, North Carolina, just behind the NASCAR R&D Center. And my guest today is Dave Parasak from Ford Performance, director of Ford Performance, Dave? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And uh, if people maybe catch some of the ambient noise, it's because I'm here during the midst of a fan celebration day. day. Yeah, <laughs> we're having a good day today. Yeah, I mean, the weather's not cooperating quite right, but yeah, we got music in the background and we got snow cones out there and we've got <laughs> autographs going on and uh, it's great to have the fans here. Certainly festive and uh, fans have always been a big part of obviously not just NASCAR, but, but manufacturer loyalties in NASCAR. This center, Dave, I, I've been here once before. I was here when you guys had the uh, Stuart Haas news conference to kind of I think introduce your relationship with that team this year with them joining the Ford fold in the 2017 cup season but I'm I'm about to take a tour for the first time I've never seen it so what what am I going to see and and why is this place important to the NASCAR program for Ford yeah it's important uh, because this is the the center of you know where all of our engineering activities occur to support our, our teams and so you know we used to uh, you know to back up a little bit um, Ford performance was created so that we can take all of our product development um, back in Dearborn and apply it to our racing, right? So we used to have our racing efforts led by our marketing community, but now it's all led from our product development, which is how racing really should be because we're leveraging racing, what we do on the racetrack, to build better cars and trucks for our customers. And so this center houses all of the engineers that we that we have for racing that, that that's out supporting our team. And then we also have equipment here that our teams use, whether it's a KNC rig or whether it's, you know, different uh, forms of pieces of equipment. We also have we, we you'll see when you go on the tour um, all of our sheet metal that we support for the team comes out of here and it's all housed here and so uh, when the teams need sheet metal we supply it to them from here um, we have our state-of-the-art simulator which is one of the the biggest attractions here at the, at the center sure. um, and when we first brought the the simulator in uh, we knew that we were buying at that time the best technology but you know it's not just having the technology you got to have 
everything that goes along with it. You know, you got to have the process behind it. You got to have the people involved, and you have to have people bought into what it can do, so that we could continually improve it. And so, what's happened here uh, is our drivers, and we told them we're going to need you guys in order to take the simulator to the level it needs to go to, and they have been 100% dedicated to doing that. And now. We, there's not a minute of time in a day, Nate, that you, can, you can't get on the simulator because bet, yeah. the drivers are here one after another using the simulator. It's that good. They see the benefits. They absolutely see the benefits, and it's helping us offload at the tracks much better, right? Um, and then our uh, product development team in Dearborn are actually using it now for road car development. Oh, really? Yeah, because it really has matured to a point now. Uh, in fact, I was just here uh, two weeks ago driving a new product that I'm working on, and you're not going to get that product name out of me. <laughs> um, but, but we had set it up, you know, on the simulator, and I drove it, and then we had made changes, and those changes we knew were going to be directionally in the – but we put it on the simulator, and then we could quantify those changes. And so I actually made a program approval based on that driving the simulator, where before you would have had to build a prototype car. You would have had to put all this stuff together. It would have taken a long time. This was an airplane ride for me down here. I drove it and said, yes, thumbs up, put it in the program, let's go. It makes a big difference. And that's all because there's a seed planted here on the racing side that lets you benefit the passenger production side. Absolutely. And that's really what this is all about. You know, people say, why do you race? Well, we don't, I mean, of course we race to win, but that's not what it's really all about. It's really about developing our people, our tools, our technologies, and no better environment to do it than racing, right? Uh, and then, but to truly bring that back to the road car development. And that's what we are doing. This isn't, we're not just talking about it, we're doing it. So how long has that simulator been here, Dave? About four or five years? About four years now. Four years, okay. So here's what's funny, I think, about the simulator situation, because I think that Ford had its big unveiling sometime around 2014, around this time. And about two years later, Toyota suddenly said, oh, hey, we have a simulator up here in Salisbury. And word has trickled out over the last couple of years that, that General Motors has a simulator in Huntersville that a lot of uh, Chevrolet drivers spend a lot of time on. And I hear the same thing, by the way, from Dave Wilson about the Toyota simulator that it's booked constantly. When I toured that last year, Rico Abreu was there and you know they, they get Gibbs and drivers and Truex and everybody in there all the time. So all of these things have been in existence for a while, but it seemed like you guys were the tipping point in kind of tip and showing us, Hey, <laughs> this exists. <laughs> right. And then everybody else suddenly kind of laid bare. Oh yeah. We're all doing yeah, it. We're it, all doing it. it. How did, how does that happen? How did you guys go first? I guess in that process, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, I don't know how we went first, but I think it's, I think it's just letting everybody know what this is all about and, and, and really communicating. I, I, a lot of people want to say, listen, we all have secrets. We all yes. have, we're racers. We do, <laughs> right? We, we go out on the weekend and we, and we show, you know, what we've got. But, um, but stuff like that is really important to us, that people understand why we're doing what we're doing, and in, including our employees, right? I mean, a lot of the employees ask, why are we racing? Why are we spending this money? Uh, so to educate everyone along the way, I think, is really important to us, and it's probably one of the reasons why we went first. It's just a show everyone what this is all about. And it seems to me like it, it's true across racing. Everybody has, as you said, everybody has their trade secrets that they're trying to keep. But once those secrets are out, then it's like, hey, we've got a great story here about how we went faster or how we developed something. Let's tell it. That's, exactly. that's sort of the, the concept. Yeah. 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 I was talking Tuesday, Dave, with uh, Travis Geisler at Team Penske for another edition of this podcast. And he was talking about uh, long-term projects that involve simulations. I'm sure some of it would involve the, the driving simulator here at yeah. Ford Performance. And he was talking about balancing the need for weekly refinement on a race car, just like little tweaks you can make, even like, say, on a Friday, realizing something at Kansas that you want to have implemented for the all-star race and you you get it done over the weekend, versus the game-changing long-range projects, which Travis was explaining. Sometimes they work, and sometimes you'll spend months 
and they yield nothing. That's, <laughs> um, that's correct. You probably have some perspective on that, not just on the racing side, the pr- production side as well. Yeah, it's very similar on the production side. I mean, we there's we spend a lot of time trying to find the next best thing. Yeah. And uh, you spend money and time and energy, and then sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't. The worst thing you can do, though, I think, is to uh, to stop that progression. I mean, you'll have you you may have more failures than you have wins. But when, those wins are usually big ones. And so we're constantly pushing the envelope, trying to find those big wins. And, and they are longer-term strategies. And, but, you know, it's part of what you do. I mean, there's, there's a lot of times we'll take a production car all the way through, even, even years of development sometimes, and you'll find out that you ended up not doing what you thought you were going to do when you started, right? Yeah. But that's okay. I mean, that's all part of, of learning and, and developing and, and pushing. If, if you knew the answer right now, yeah. then that would be pretty easy. But that probably means you're not pushing the envelope. So you, when you don't know the answer, you're going to have some times when it doesn't work out. You obviously have a, have a staff of engineers here at Ford Performance, Dave. How, how do you balance that in terms of how many are, are dedicated toward uh, the long-term stuff versus how many are, are on that weekly grind? You know, how do you marshal those those resources? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's it's we have them split up in a way that – so we have we've been, about three years ago when I took over as the leader, um, we had about seven engineers, mm-hmm. and that's it. And if you look at where we are today, we're over 30. Uh, um, and, and we have engineers embedded with the teams. And so they're kind of working on that daily grind that you're talking about that week to week. How are we going to, you know, how are we going to make an improvement for the next week? And then you've got another group of engineers that all, everybody's in the same group, but you've got another group that's working on those longer term projects. And you have to keep the guys on the longer term projects somewhat separated from the daily grind. It's easy to get sucked into the daily sure. stuff. Um, but we're all together and we're all under one roof. And so we're all complimenting each other and helping each other. But yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, we, we work with the teams to decide what projects do we want to work on. And then we, uh, we put the proper resources behind doing those things. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of the success that you're seeing this year from Ford. Um, a lot of those longer term projects are starting to pay off. And so, um, you'll continue to see that, but you know, it, it, it's not like flipping a light switch. It takes a little while sometimes to get those things moving. I'd, I'd ask which projects, but of course you're not going not to tell say. me. <laughs> I know how this works. All right, we're going to pause the podcast right here to tell you about a product from our presenting sponsor, which is STP. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines perform at their best. And STP's newest product is the STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner and Fuel Stabilizer which delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline. That helps keep fuel fresh during storage, especially in engines that are stored over an extended period of time. This product is really easy to use. You just buy it, you you put it in your gas tank, and you let it do all the work in terms of uh, keeping your fuel fresh and keeping your engine running smoothly. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. And it is also compatible with all two and four stroke engines, including lawnmowers, boats, and motorcycles. So again, check out the STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner and Fuel Stabilizer. And now let's get back to our conversation with Ford Performance Director, Dave Parasak. So that's the racing side. And as you mentioned, there's there's a street car element to this as well. Dan Zacharias, one of your ACE PR guys, was in here and was just explaining to me about that simulator, how they've added. He was describing it as like a buck. Yes. For How does that work? Like, So it's it's modified differently when the simulator is used for a passenger car yeah. with a buck versus a racing. Yeah, right. Side. So we basically have uh, three main bucks, as you call them, and, and we call them as well. One is um, a NASCAR buck. So it literally 
replicates a NASCAR. So when the, when the drivers sit in the car, everything it's all familiar to them because it looks like their their real car. So that really adds to the realism and the experience of driving the simulator, right? If they're if you're in an environment where the queuing is off and you know they're used to looking you know a certain, at something and it's not there, right. you have to have it. You know the environment has to be what they're used to on the racetrack. So uh, we have a NASCAR buck, and then we have a GT a four GT buck. Uh, because we did train on the simulator here, all of our drivers for Lamar, uh, and you know we were successful last year in doing that. And Obviously, yeah. In, in fact, um, <laughs> well, here's a great example of where we had this. Is, so we should talk about this for a second. So we had a very unfortunate situation at the Indy 500 last yeah. week, right? right? And Sebastian Bourdais. Uh, this was on my list of questions for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank God Sebastian is going to be okay. Right. Um, and you know we've talked to him. He's in good spirits, although he's uh, you know he's going to be in some pain for a while. But you know we're really pleased that he will make a full recovery. Um, but once that happened, uh, we were faced with, that was one of our Lamar drivers. Mm-hmm. And so we had to figure out who we're going to put in the car. And uh, we haven't made the announcement yet, but we have picked that driver. And um, we will be using the simulator heavily between now and right, for that driver to come fully up to speed, uh, not only in the GT, but at Le Mans. And so there's a great example of where we're going to get tons of hours behind the wheel. Sure. Uh, before that driver ever gets on an airplane and heads over to France. And in real, like, I mean, the realism is unbelievable, right? And so fantastic tool to have when you have such a situation like we have in front of us right now. I mean, otherwise, you'd have to pick a driver, send him over to Le Mans, and take your chances. Take your chances, yeah. right? But we're going to be much more prepared because we already know, we already have the, the simulator already is ready to run that track, We've obviously, because we ran it all last year. And that driver can sit down and start getting some laps behind his belt. So, so I asked you and Raj Nair here in January, uh, Tony Stewart wants to run Le Mans. <laughs> yeah, he does. Can we rule him out? As You can rule replacement? him out. Okay. He will not be running <laughs> Le Mans. Uh, we love right. Tony, and I know he wants to get behind the wheel of that GT, but he won't okay. be at Le Mans. I know he obviously doesn't have a lot of experience in sports cars on famous French road courses, so he would be somebody who would probably want a lot of time in that simulator. Yes. But- Yes, um, yeah. but Tony does tell Rajna every time he sees us that he wants to get he wants to it. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to the relevance of the production model versus the competition side, Dave, Brad Keselowski talked a lot, I think it was two years ago. Obviously, there was a little bit of a performance drop-off from his 2012 season, title season, to 2013 when the Gen 6 came out. And he felt as if Ford, again, to its credit, was first in terms of unveiling its Gen 6 fusion. Mm-hmm. But he thought that there was a lot of attention on the marketing side, which again, very important. You guys aren't here unless you can sell cars and market it well, but he thought that that might've hurt you guys a little bit coming out first ahead of the competition side. When, when you guys look back at how you rolled out gen six, would you agree with that assessment that sometimes you can, you can tip it a little bit too far marketing versus competition? Yeah, I think you can. I think you can fall into that. And I think that's one of the reasons that you saw the shift out of marketing into our product development team. Yeah, so that everything that we do needs to have the engineering behind it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yes, marketing is important to us. That's one of the reasons we do race. Um, but marketing, the marketing aspects should never lead your ability to compete. And I think that we may have gotten, in some cases, ahead of that, right, where the marketing was leading the competition. Right. Um, but that's no longer the case. And, uh, you know, we've I think Brad would say now, hopefully. Uh, yeah. Well, based uh, on his results, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That he sees that we've made a major shift. And, and I know he would because he and I talk all the time, right? Um, but but you can see the difference when you lead your efforts from, a, from an engineering-based group um, that – 
everything we do now is it's it's to win. It's to make that car go faster on the track, hand, handle better, give the drivers you know the best ability to win. Yeah. And you can you know what's great, um, Nate, for me is a lot of people. You know, Roush Fenway won their first race and uh, in a long time and this year, and that was fantastic. Um, but and somebody said, well, how did that feel? I said, well, to put Jack Roush back in victory lane felt great. But it's actually bigger than that. If you look at the performance this year, whether it's Stuart Haas or Penske or Roush or they're all running at the top. They're all qualifying right at the top. They're all, you know, you know, finishing up in the top. And that means that the system that we've got in place now here at Ford Performance and overall sure. is working. It's yeah. working for all of them, right? And that's what's really cool about it because yeah. that's where the power is at. It's having more cars on the track that are there at the end of the race to compete for that win. Yeah, and no question, that's got to be a source of pride for you that's happened under your purview since you took over in 2015. Yeah. And just to embarrass you a little bit further, let me talk a little about your background. Uh, You grew up in Chicago, I can tell by your accent. I'm a Naperville. Yeah, yeah, uh, Naperville. Former Naperville resident. Where did you grow up? Yeah, Tinley Park. Tinley Park, okay. So the southwest uh, side. You were the chief designer of the 2015 Mustang, correct? Chief engineer, yep. Chief engineer, okay. And, And you spent how many years designing that? Oh, I mean, we were probably about four and a half years. Wow. We were in there doing that. Yeah. That's a long time to spend on <laughs> making sure a car is, is Yeah, perfect. it takes a long time. I mean, if, if people realize what goes into doing an all-new car, and that 2015 Mustang. So I was a chief engineer Mustang for about six years in total. Um, and the 2015 was the last project I did as the chief engineer. But, you know, when you talk about doing an all-new car, every nut, every bolt, every it's it's amazing what goes into that and how much time it takes and all the proper testing that has to occur. And so, yeah, you're in it for a good four and a half years or so of blood, sweat, and tears. And But at the end of the day, you know, it was a great, uh, it was a great uh, project. Uh, the 2015 Mustang came out. Sales just went off the charts globally. It was our first actual global Mustang, right? With right-hand drive, I mean, fully global. And uh, recently it's been, it, it was the uh, number one selling sports car oh, really? in the world. Yeah. That's something to hang your hat on as yeah, well. Yeah, it was it was a fun project. Great team. Team Mustang is, they're fantastic to work with. They're a lot of good people there. So I suppose like, even though you, you came from the production side background more so than like a racing competition side background, th- th- there's still elements there that are probably the same is like what Tony Stewart or, or Roger Penske or Jack Roush or Richard Petty are, yeah. are, are striving for. You can relate to that, that competition side because you're trying to beat competitors in the marketplace. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when you're trying to do sports cars uh, and do, you know, world-class sports cars, I mean, the competition is unbelievable, right? Cause there's a lot of great stuff out there. So yeah, no, I get it. And, and um, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that Raj Nair decided when, you know, Hey, we got to pull all of our efforts from racing and, and, uh, uh, performance vehicles and parts and accessories and everything all under one roof. That's what that was the genesis of Ford Performance. That's where it came from. It was Raj saying, "Hey, all this stuff should be under one house so that we don't, you know, because we were it was somewhat. You had marketing running racing. You had the PD guys running the performance vehicles. You had another group running the parts and accessories and." Raj said, hey, this doesn't make sense. We, we got to pull this all under one roof. And, and you see the results of all that happening, too. Yeah. Did it take much convincing uh, of the of your team owner? side did you have to talk to roger and and i guess tony obviously joined a little bit later but jack uh, and and, and, and richard Richard. no it didn't take much convincing at all they were they were really encouraged by what they had heard you know and what the plan was because they realized there was more support for them and support in the right area was the engineering support you know and this bit you know if you look at nascar it is a highly technical sport right a lot of people i think are still not fully understanding how technical it really is and the difference between i mean look when we qualify it's a tenth of a second separates the top 
you know, eight spots and qualify. I mean, it's, it's crazy, right? I mean, every little bit counts in the sport. And so you have to be an engineering-led organization. And all of our team, whether it's Penske or whether it's Stuart, they're all engineering-led organizations. Yeah. And so Ford finally, you know, organized, I think, in the right way, obviously. And, and the teams welcome that, for sure. What, what do you think is the best way to tell those stories, Dave? Because I've had discussions with other engineers about that. I, I think Travis and I talked about it during that podcast that I just did the other day. Because technical can be a little bit impenetrable Mm -hmm. the technology sometimes nascar is about people and it's about personalities and i know that engineering has that but it's probably tricky to be able to tell that story and and still kind of explain it in an authentic way i think yeah i you know i don't know that there's a magic answer to that question i think uh, we're constantly working on how to best tell those stories and get the message out and and get people to be aware of what's going on because um i think once you have that opportunity to get you know we've seen it where we you start to tell those stories people get really intrigued by it and they get really involved with it. Um, so I think, you know, we're, we're trying to leverage all the different social media uh, methods that are out there. I mean, people are consuming information, as you know, in, in many different ways now. So we're trying to leverage all of those different ways. Um, Dan Zacharias and the team are doing an amazing job, I think, of creating those stories and those, those bits of information that we're trying to feed to people. And so, uh, we're working on it. I don't know, Nate. I don't. I mean, yeah. I, I want to keep telling the story because I'm passionate <laughs> about it, and I think you know the more people do understand it, they seem to get passionate about it as well. So it's just over communicate is all I can say. I don't know. I like it. Well, I'll keep trying to help you tell them because <laughs> I'm I'm fascinated by it. The, the racing side to the streetcar side, Dave. Obviously, NASCAR put much more of an emphasis on that. Starting with Gen Six in 2013, they they reemphasized the commitment to the manufacturers. And I think you guys have a not fair to say larger seat at the table than you've probably had in, in a couple of decades, but what else would you like to see from the NASCAR side in terms of runs? I, obviously the, the move to EFI was several years ago, but I know that I think in sports cars, EcoBoost has, has found its way from racetrack to, to street cars a little bit more maybe than, than, than you probably have as many examples on the NASCAR side, right? Yeah, that's true. The EcoBoost in, in, in sports cars with the GT specifically, I mean, it, it, there's a, 100% tie between what we race right. and what we sell, right? right? So NASCAR, you know, we're working with them. I think that, you know, the discussions that we we have very good discussions now that we never had before. So we are able to discuss how to be more relevant and how to get that technology tie and, sh- and share. Um, they're interested in that as well. They understand that as OEMs, we can spend our money in money different places. And so they recognize that if we're going to spend it in NASCAR, there has to be a benefit for all of us. And, uh, so, I mean, I think as we talk about the next generation of engine or we talk about, you know, some of the technology that we're going to use in, in, in light weighting and downforce, and they're very open to understanding our needs and, and figuring out how to move NASCAR in the direction that would further support those needs. And so we're working on a regular basis with them to make that happen. Is the next focus more engine than car? Well, I mean, there's a lot of discussion around the engine. Uh, by no means have we sorted anything out on that front, but we're having a lot of discussion around it um, and what is the right thing to do. Um, but I, we're talking about all elements, you know, I mean, there's nothing that's not on the table right now to figure out how to continue to make it relevant and continue to leverage NASCAR to better, uh, our, our development of our road cars. So 2013 was gen six fusion introduction. When do you think we might see the next iteration of, of cup car? Well, I mean, we did another one since 2013, right? We just did a new cup car. I guess there was the, yep. the, the redesigned nose yep. last yep. year, right, yep. right, right. Um, when will there be another one beyond that? I mean, we're, listen, we're always going to look at – we want to remain competitive, obviously. And so, you know, as NASCAR looks at changing rules and things change and, mm-hmm. 
in our models, you know, of product change, we'll constantly look and see if there's a, a better solution. So there's nothing that's uh, right now that I could look at you and say, hey, we're working on this, Nate, and it's coming in this time frame. Right. But we are constantly studying where we are and when it makes sense to make that change. It's a big deal to make those changes. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, that yeah. is not a small thing to do. And then you got to remember, once you make those changes, every team has to then migrate right. to that. And so there's cost involved. You know, there's a lot involved. but. Yeah. Uh, we feel that the car right now that we're running is competitive, and um, but we'll keep looking for sure. Are you happy with the nameplate? Would, would Fusion be where, where you want to stay for now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it works quite well for us, actually. On the competition side, Dave, obviously it's interesting because Team Penske has been the flagship since 13. This year you add Stuart Haas Racing. For the most part, I'm, I'm looking at it completely externally. I don't have the internal view that you have, right. and you probably can probably tell some stories on what what happens in the closed door meetings. <laughs> but with Penske, there was always sort of a reputation, and and Roger and and his people have been upfront about this that they like having the unfair advantage. That's kind of the, the Penske tradition is that they like being innovators and they like kind of keeping stuff to themselves. And I know that for Ford, for Toyota, for for GM, it's about sharing. It's about getting everybody to, to work on the same page. And I can remember distinctly after Kozlowski's win in Atlanta, I asked Roger about this. And Roger indicated that, yeah, that, that there was a level of cooperation with Stuart Haas and that he felt like they were, they were pushing each other, the benchmarking, as he called it. How has Ford played a role in that? And is, is the cooperation level, I would think, it's it's what you want to see. Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, so we absolutely play a huge role in that, and and uh, everyone in the Ford camp knows that I am pushing very strong for the sharing and for uh, a one Ford approach where it makes sense. Mm-hmm. The teams are always going to have some individual aspects, and, right. and and that you you know that's fine, and that's they should do that. Uh, and at the end of the day, they're the ones that want to cross the finish line. Yeah. But I've told all the Ford guys when we're running, you know, ten Fords in the top ten then I'll, I'll be the happiest guy watching who battles it out to cross yeah. the finish line, right? But until yeah. then, we got to work together. And um, when we brought Stuart Haas on, you know, I called Penske, called Roger up and let him know that, hey, this was happening, and, this was, and his response was phenomenal. I didn't know what kind of response I was going to get. <laughs> um, but his response was absolutely phenomenal. He said, Dave, awesome move for Ford. It's going to raise the chinning bar for all of us. He said that is going to make all of us better fantastic job right and so ever since then uh penske and Stuart haas have done a really nice job of integrating learning each other um what role do we play we're kind of the you know we're the ones that come in that each team has trust in forward performance it's really important to me that they that they have that trust in us and so the things that have to remain uh within a certain team secret within that team they know it will absolutely will yeah and those things that we can then commonize or have discussion on then Ford performance facilitates that discussion and dialogue. And so, you know, we're, we are doing that role and I, because we have trust of all the teams, then the teams can actually work together because they, there's a common ground of trust. And so you're seeing much more collaboration and it's showing on the racetrack. Even if you look at some of the super speedway races that we've had recently, uh, you can see the Fords working together like they've never worked together before. Because for, for this to work, Dave, you guys have to know everything. Yeah. That's the, the best way to optimize results, performance, and help them. But they can't know everything about what everybody else is doing. That's, that's correct. That's the tricky part. That's correct, yeah. yeah. And so our, our, and we've been very good about, and every team will tell you that, our, you know, we have to make sure that we don't violate that trust and that when those things that can't transfer over, that, that they just don't transfer over. Yeah. And there's a respect from each team that knows that there's going to be an area where we're going to say, guys, that's off limits. Let's go to the next, right? But so that respect is there. You're seeing way more collaboration now than ever before. And we have plans in the, you know, for additional collaboration that's going to make even more 
you know, uh, give us a more competitive advantage in the future. So it's, it's every, every week, every month, it's building stronger and stronger. That trust is building more and more. The results are showing, hey, working together is the right thing to do. So it's all coming together to, yes, this one Ford approach is the right way to go. And so it's happening. I know, obviously, Penske and Stuart Haas are under long-term deals. You made a pretty big lineup move this year in adding Stuart Haas. Any plans on lineup additions in the future or, or changes that you can talk about yet? This would not be a good podcast if you didn't ask that question. <laughs> right. Uh, no, you know I can't comment on that. I, mean, I have to ask it, though. You, I know, no, I know. You do. Yeah. You do. No, listen. I mean, right now, we are staying laser focused on getting a championship, right. uh, on getting everybody to run uh, in that top, like I told you, that's that's the goal, and you're seeing that is happening. Uh, no major announcements that I could even you know wink at you on. I mean, like we're we're very focused on the teams that we have and getting the performance to the level that we need it to be. We're still not there. I mean, we're having a you know good season so far, knock on wood. But we still have a ton of work to do, especially if we want that championship. And so we're laser focused with the team we. Absolutely. I respect that answer. Thanks, Dave. I got two more for you, both related more to, to Ford as a whole, because I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask about this either. Your, your company made a CEO change this they week. They did? <laughs> you may have read the news. <laughs> There's been a change at the top with yeah. uh, with Ford Motor Company. Yep. And there was much talk about autonomous cars and everything as part of that move. I want to get to that in a minute. But what have you been told NASCAR program, racing program wise from, I'm, I'm sure you've had discussions with, with the new management? Yeah, no. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there are major changes going on. In fact, there's another announcement that's coming out today, additional changes that are happening. I, from a racing perspective, our, our plan doesn't change. Everyone understands what Ford Performance is about. Ford Performance has actually become one of the pillars in the company. So when we would go out and talk about what's important to us and why, I mean, Ford Performance is now one of the pillars that we talk about. So I don't see a risk of, of us, you know, changing drastically what we're doing. And there's been massive support from all the success we've been having and you know, whether it be on the, on the racetrack or even you look at the, the Raptor, the, the GT350, the Focus RS, I could go on and on. All of those successes, everyone is recognizing what is happening and, and fully support it at Ford. And so I don't, I don't see any major changes coming with our, with our strategy um, at all. I do think that the changes that are happening at Ford, um, you know, they're significant. And sure. um, uh, they're all to, to set us up for the future. And so we just all need to stay focused. We have, we have a lot of work to do at Ford, um, and we've been, you know, we've been, we've been making record profits, and we've been doing a really good job. And so this is just the next step in taking the company into the future, especially things are changing so fast, and with autonomous vehicles, and with yeah, you know, just the way that people moving yeah. is going to where it's going. And so when uh, when Tesla has a bigger market cap than. GM people are are taking notice of that, as you said. I mean, yeah, they're, they're you, you want to reposition yourselves and uh, for the future and, and be in good position. You mentioned the autonomous cars. Obviously, the new CEO has a heavy background in that. Beyond just Ford and, and the NASCAR program, what, what do you think that means for racing as as a society? We shift away from from people who drive cars to to you know, essentially driverless type vehicles. I mean, how does how does the future of racing going to be shaped by that? Yeah, I mean, I think well, I, I don't think anybody has the the total answer to that. I mean, I think yeah. that as we develop the technology for autonomous vehicles, I think there's going to be a lot of cool innovations that are going to happen that'll help us race even better, right? People got to realize autonomous vehicles are coming and it's fantastic and I think that the role that autonomous vehicles will play in our lives will be important. But I, this isn't a, like a takeover. We're not going to wake up one day and every car <laughs> on the planet will drive itself, right? That's right. not going to happen. And I think people just need to sort of understand that a bit. I mean, I think yeah. autonomous vehicles will have their place in this world. Yeah. But, um, but we're not going to stop driving cars anytime soon. So uh, I, think, I think that, you know, uh, we all just need to embrace 
where we're going with the technology and, and you know, what it can then apply to. Because just because we're working on autonomous vehicles doesn't mean that what we learn there doesn't apply to racing or to aerospace or to whatever, right? I mean, like this is – I think this is a, a fantastic opportunity for us as a, as a complete society to – to develop some really cool technology that I think will affect us in many parts of our lives. Right. So I think racing will change as a result of the, what we're doing with um, autonomy, but I don't think that you're going to all of a sudden wipe every race car driver off and we're going to just watch cars drive around. I don't, number one, I I wouldn't want to watch that. I don't think that would be very exciting, but I, but I don't think that's where we're headed. I think, I think it's just going to enable us to continue to do more and bigger and better things on the racetrack. Right. So there'll still be a place for people wanting to watch competition and cool cars duking it out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I think it's innate in us as people. Right. I mean, if you look at the love that we have for our automobile, it's not it's not going away. Mm -hmm. I mean, heck. So I was in a GT350 the other day and I was behind a school bus on the highway and we were and we were uh, I was coming up to the school bus. And as we were getting off on a ramp and as I came up right behind the school bus, the entire back of the school bus was nothing but little faces and then it was nothing but little thumbs up in the air and i mean so we're not losing the love of the automobile right i think we're changing our interaction with it but people still love to drive they still want to go see people duke it out and battle it out i mean that's just innate in who we are as people right so i'm not i'm not i'm not afraid at all about what's going on i in fact i embrace it i think it's gonna be cool i think we're gonna have different ways of consuming the sport as a result of this technology development we're going to do, I think we're going to have different ways of, 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 of uh, controlling the cars and doing things that we couldn't do before. I mean, just look at now. If you go back and look at where the racers used to be, how those guys went as fast as they did with the cars that they had right. is amazing, right. Right? right? When you look at the controls and everything that we have today and what these guys are able to do, I mean, if you look at the NASCAR races now, you're four wide on, on, on a back stretch going 200 miles an hour, and these guys have full control of those, of those vehicles, right? Yeah. It's just amazing. Right. It's amazing where the technology has taken us and allows us to race in the way that we do. And as yeah. long as you can keep, what, 10 or 20, 9 to 10-year-olds giving you thumbs up and smiling when they see a, one of those cars, not the, not the racing car, but right. the street version, that's, that's got to be emboldening. And right, and, that, and there was yeah. nothing. That was completely organic. That was, they yeah. didn't know I was coming, right? But yeah. they saw the car coming up, and then, I mean, that just tells me that that's just one example of where yeah. we love automobiles. There'll always be a place for it, hopefully. Yeah. All right, hey, Dave, I really appreciate you taking time. I enjoyed this, and uh, good luck the rest of the season. Great. Thanks for having me, Nate. We appreciate Dave Parasak from Ford Performance for joining us. It's always good to have a manufacturer's perspective on NASCAR. As you heard Dave say there during the podcast, the manufacturers really are a bridge, whether it's to the teams and what they're doing, whether it's NASCAR as a sanctioning body and its direction with the rules, whether it's the actual aesthetics of the cars themselves. Since the Gen 6 car was introduced in 2013, the manufacturers really have had a larger seat at the table and have become more instrumental and influential in what you see during the course of races. So it was great to have Dave explain Ford's role and how all of that works. We got a lot of good feedback last year when we had Dave Wilson from Toyota Racing Development on the podcast. I'm glad we could have Dave Parasak on as well. I'm still working on someone from General Motors and hope to have someone on soon to represent the Chevrolet perspective in the Cup Series. Thanks again to Scott Sebastian and Dan Zacharias of Ford PR for coordinating this conversation with Dave. 
You heard it mentioned a few times during that podcast. I recently sat down with Team Penske Director of Competition Travis Geisler, who was excellent as usual. That is next week's podcast. Stay tuned for that. If you like hearing the behind-the-scenes stories about how cup teams operate, Travis provided lots of great details and insight into that process. So stay tuned next week for Travis Geisler on the NASCAR and NBC podcast. And a reminder about NBC Sports Podcasts, you should be listening to them. Starting with Monday Morning Donuts, that's the weekly race recap show with Parker Kligerman and Carolyn Mano. I don't know if you watch NASCAR America this week, but Carolyn Mano has some very strong opinions about things. And she does a great job hosting, and she has a wonderful rapport with Parker, who always will tell you something you didn't realize you missed while watching a race. Also, many other great NBC Sports podcasts you should check out. Kyle Martino's That's a Dive, The Leisurman, Tara and Johnny, the Roto World podcasts, lots of great podcasting content out there from NBC Sports. And a reminder that the NASCAR and NBC podcast is available on Apple Podcasts. If you listen to us there, please leave a glowing rating and review. Always shamelessly looking for as much support as we possibly can get in the Apple Podcasts rating and review categories. So help us out there. You also can find us on Spotify, Audioboom, Google Play, and Stitcher as well as on NBCSports.com slash NASCAR. That also is the place for daily previews of what is on NASCAR America that night on NBCSN, along with the start time. Go to NBCSports.com slash NASCAR every day, and you can keep abreast of what we'll be showing you that night on NASCAR America. If you've got ideas for the NASCAR and NBC podcast presented by STP, send them to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the NASCAR and NBC podcast presented by STP. I'm Steve Letart, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner Plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application.